So before I dive into the sermon today, I, I, I just want to pause and take note of uh, kind of the, the, the tragedy, the violence that has um, sprung up in our cities this last week or so. We've got Jamari Rice, who is uh, killed in St. Paul, Amir Locke, um, or Jamar Rice in, in Richfield and Amir Locke in St. Paul, who were killed. Some of you work just blocks away from where these events happened. Um, one of you works in the Richfield School, uh, where one of these events happened. And while these two incidents certainly uh, overtake a lot of our headlines this particular week, some of you live in neighborhoods where this, this kind of violence is just incessant. It's just going on and on and on. And so these deaths are certainly stirring up a, a wide range of emotions within us. Uh, it's causing us to um, take into more careful consideration the brokenness of the cities that we live in, the brokenness that we see within our own hearts as well. Well, we gather because we are the, the people of God who come to hear from God himself. We gather around his word and his sacraments. We expect to open up the Holy Scriptures and hear God actually speak to us, to hear his voice talking to our souls we gather around his sacraments. We're, we're reminded at the waters of baptism that our entire identity is claimed by and rooted in the love of God the Father who speaks over us. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. You are mine. And then in a few moments, we'll gather around the holy table as brothers and sisters breaking the bread and, and drinking of the wine and joining alongside one another in the entire company of heaven, as we say every week will be fed by the presence of Jesus Christ himself. So for the believer, this is where these kinds of conversations about brokenness in our world begins and ends and, and moves. And, and throughout the ages, God's people have been sustained all across time and in every nation by his word and by his table. And so in these things, we believe that these things give us immediate relevance and that they minister to us, and that God talks to us and shapes us into his likeness through these things, carrying us through this troublesome world. Well, with that in mind, let us pray. Lord Jesus, we are grieved by the violence that is sometimes on our own doorsteps. It's in our workplaces, Lord. It, it touches us, Lord. It shapes us, and it rattles us. So Lord, as, as your church walks through the season of epiphany right now and we contemplate the, the radiance of your glory, Lord, I, I pray that you would grant to your people, illuminated by your word and sacraments, that we would shine with the radiance of your glory. And so now, Lord, open up your word to us today. Speak to us, because we so desperately want to hear from you. Amen. Amen. So like I said, this is the season of Epiphany. If this is your uh, first week with us here, uh, let me just quickly say that Epiphany means illumination. This is the season after Christmas. It starts with the wise men as they come following the star and they gaze upon the Lord Jesus and are illuminated by his glory there. And as this season progresses, we celebrate the, the mission of Christ's kingdom, his message, the good news of the gospel spreading forth across the globe. His message is one that brings brightness and warmth and growth and beauty. This is a season of mission and outreach. It's a season of being called, equipped, and sent out as we end all of our services with to be sent out into the world to love and serve the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah says, and as, as we sang, 
Arise, shine, for the light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. So last week, we looked at Jesus going to his hometown, where he was rejected by those who he loved. And today, the story does end a little bit better, uh, a lot better actually, but it doesn't come without some bumps along the way. And so I want to move us through this, this story, the miraculous catch of Jesus calling some of the first disciples, and I want to move through this in three scenes, pointing out ways in which the Word of God speaks to us here today in our current situation. So Jesus is teaching. His, his ministry is uh, still early on. He's preaching throughout Galilee. And Galilee is, is a rural town. It's, it's not like Jerusalem where all the big important things happen and all the big important people live. This is, this is Galilee. It's, it's kind of a rural town. It's, uh, a lot of small villages are there. And, and the people who are there probably don't think too highly of themselves. They probably don't expect too much of one another or their, their fellow countrymen. This is just a low-key, normal, Nothing big happens in Galilee kind of place. And this is where Jesus is conducting his ministry. And he's doing amazing things like healing the sick, restoring sight to the blind, casting out demons. But not everyone has actually seen Jesus do these things yet. For many, Jesus is still just a rumor, like an old wives' tale. You know, hearing these things, hearing rumblings of things. But I'm sure a lot of people are still, they might have their doubts They might not be sure that the stories are actually true. Well, Jesus comes to the lake of Gennesaret, which is also called the Sea of Galilee in other places of the scriptures. It's the same lake. And there's fishermen who are there who are cleaning their nets. They're repairing their nets. They had just gotten done with a a long night of pulling up no fish whatsoever. Jesus borrows one of their boats. He sits down and he starts preaching to the crowd. And so far... This is just a regular day for an itinerant preacher. Soon we're about to see that Jesus is quite the fishy preacher. (laughs) Well, after the sermon, Jesus tells Simon Peter to take his boat out a little bit further, to drop his nets again, the nets that he had just cleaned, to drop them down into the water again. And see, this is a problem because Simon Peter, as we've seen, has already been fishing. He's already been fishing all night long, he and his partners, and they have caught nothing. And so it's a little embarrassing that Jesus, this carpenter now turned preacher, is telling Simon, who is a lifelong fisherman, most likely comes from a generation, generations of fishermen, Jesus is now telling Simon how to do his job. So it's a little embarrassing. And, and you can even hear in Simon's voice his annoyance coming through a little bit. He's like, Master, we've, we've toiled all night long. We've been down this road before. The fish aren't biting right now. Uh, we didn't catch anything. But then he says, but Jesus, at your word, at your word, I will do it. So a question for you, how much faith do you think Simon has in this particular moment? Now imagine if, if faith fishing was an Olympic sport and you are the judge, and you're watching this scene happen right here, and you're given cards, one through ten, one being really low, ten being extravagant, how much faith would you give to Peter in this moment? Simon Peter, how much faith would he get? Because notice what he says. He's not like, sure, Jesus, man, I can't wait to see what happens. I bet we're going to haul up a ton of fish, aren't we? I can't wait for this. No, he bar- he just, he's dragging his feet along in this. He's like, Jesus, I don't think this is a good idea, man. Like, you're about to make a fool of yourself. But if you insist, if you say the word, Jesus, I'll do it. 
So if I was judging this, I'd probably give Peter a one, maybe a two if I was in a good mood or something like that. But the good news is that even just a tiny, eensy-weensy, little bit of faith is good enough for Jesus. In other words, it's not the faith of Jesus, or it's not the faith of Peter that brings in the catch of fish. It's the word of Jesus that does it. And it's a big catch. They lower the nets, and they catch a ton of fish, a large number of fish, so many that the nets begin to break. And I just love this. Even the other boats start coming to partake and help out with this abundant catch. It's just a big, crazy, fun, hot mess. It, this actually reminded me, some of you might remember this. This was a while ago. This was, um, does anyone remember our Easter egg hunt in 2019? Maybe a couple of you do. Yeah, okay, a couple fist pumps. So Restoration had done Easter egg hunts in the neighborhood before. Man, I, this was in my sermon, and I scrapped it before the service, but I'm going to tell this anyway because this is a fun story. But uh, So we had done a couple Easter egg hunts before as a church, and it was always so ridiculously cold that we ended up going inside to the Lake Nokomis Community Center in the gymnasium. And it's like, yay, these great kids get to hunt for Easter eggs on the floor of a gymnasium. <laughs> it's going to be super fun. And there was maybe like 50 kids who would come to these. Um, I mean, and it was great. It was fun. We made a good time of it. I don't mean to, to downplay that. It was, you know, A for effort. You know, it was wonderful. And then this one year, we decided to partner with the park district, uh, with Maggie over at the community center. And she publicized it through her park district channels. It was also an allergen-aware Easter egg hunt, which I think it could have been one of the only ones in the Twin Cities like that. And then it just so happened that it was like the most perfect, beautiful, glorious, divine weather that we had had of the season. And you know how people in the Twin Cities are. Like when the, when the first warm weekend comes out, it's like you flip over a rock and all these critters pop out, you know? So it's like, that's what it was like on that Easter egg hunt. So we were talking with Maggie beforehand and we're like, maybe 200 people will come, you know, it'll be great, it'll be super fun. A thousand people came to this. It was absolutely terrifying. I had this one picture of, of Jenny Nichols with, the, she's wearing your, Jenny, where are you? Yeah, there's, you're wearing this like teal t-shirt, just like throwing Easter eggs like into this like crowd of people. At one point we decided, you know what, let's, let's just have kids go and get the eggs, bring them back, turn them in, and we just give them a bag of candy, you know, and one parent was so mad by this, she was like cussing at me because she was so mad that, her, that it wasn't like a normal Easter egg hunt. Anyway, all that to say, our Lord Jesus surprises us with abundant catches like this. He loves to do this to us, not all the time, but sometimes this happens. I could tell a second story of, the, of getting this building and those sweet Lutherans who um, wanted to pass on the legacy of this space to another congregation. And my goodness, what an abundant catch, you could say. What a, a, a mark of the Lord's abundant um, generosity, you know, especially since they, they only charged us a dollar for this. It was just absolutely remarkable. We're so incredibly grateful. So that's the first scene. That's, that's a, a longer scene. The next scenes are going to be a little short. So scene two, the big epiphany. So the, this pile of fish that, have, that it's built up on the shore really has an effect on Peter, you could say. It just totally rattles him. 
You see, up until this point, for Simon Peter, he'd only heard about Jesus. He had not yet had a Jesus encounter. So now there's piles of fish everywhere, and everything changes for Peter. So he's asking, you know, who is this? Who is this who, who teaches with, with authority and pure wisdom, commands the creatures of the sea to come up? You know, from the chaos of the sea, Jesus provides abundant life. And this rattles Simon Peter. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinner, O Lord. Now, when Peter refers to himself as a sinner, what does he mean by that? Well, he lives in a poor part of the country. Maybe, maybe there's some just shame that he has about who he is and, and who his community is. There's, maybe there's no pride there. And so he, he doesn't see himself as a very significant person. Or maybe he sees his job as less than important. He doesn't see himself as really contributing anything to the society around him. And so he, he feels dirty by that. He, he feels uh, less than by that. He feels like an untouchable. He feels like a sinner because of that. Or maybe he's thinking immediately of the lack of faith that he had. He was kind of shuffling his feet when Jesus was speaking to him. And he, and he feels super guilty and, and filled with shame because he doubted Jesus in this moment. Or maybe there's some other sort of um, bad sinful habits or addictions or, or patterns of sin in his life that is at the forefront of his mind. I think it's actually helpful that the text is a little ambiguous at that moment because you can just hear the shame in Peter's voice, can't you? But a light bulb goes off. Or you could say, you know, an, an altar filled with candles sort of pops <laughs> above his head. You know, these lights go off. He goes from calling Jesus master, which is a, still a polite, good, respectful term, but then to calling him Lord, a title in the Jewish scriptures that is used to refer to God himself. You see, Peter has this big epiphany, and he's starting to see Jesus more clearly. Scene three, the big comfort. So how does Jesus react to Peter's shame? Does he pile on? Does he dogpile on to, to Simon Peter here? Does he say, that's right, you are a sinner. You should have listened to me back then, you silly man. Now stand up and go throw yourself into the sea. Of course not. That's probably what one of us would say. That's not what Jesus says, though. Jesus gives at least three gifts to Peter in this moment. First, Jesus gives Peter grace. He stays there. He stands by him. He graces him with his presence. I imagine Jesus just smiling over Peter in that moment, perhaps looking at these silly, goofy fish just flopping around and laughing a little bit by that. He gives him grace. But second, Jesus gives him peace. The first words that he says to Simon Peter is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. In other words, he calms Peter he comforts Peter. Put away your fear. I give to you peace. And then thirdly, he says to him, from now on, you will be catching men. You will be catching men. You are going to join me in this great kingdom adventure. And like the abundance of fish that you see here, you are going to be welcoming men, women, and children into the household of God. And we know if we were to keep reading through Luke's gospel and then Luke's second book, the book of Acts, that we would see great catches of people from all nations coming into the household of God. And so Jesus gives Peter a purpose as well, grace 
peace and purpose. So in other words, when Jesus calls someone, that is what you are given, grace, peace, and purpose. So these are really strange days for restoration for our church. These are strange days. I, I talk to other pastors in the neighborhood and, and uh, in other traditions. Uh, I talk to other pastors in, in our own tradition uh, in other parts of the country who I'm buddies with. And everyone agrees these are strange days. I don't know, I don't recognize maybe a quarter of you in the room. I don't think I've had a personal uh, conversation with maybe a quarter of you, I'm guessing. Um, my guess is a lot of people are kind of re-examining church homes right now. Or maybe you've been away from church, you've been away from faith for a long time, and maybe, maybe the, the spirit or something inside of you is nudging you to come and, and check out Christianity again, to learn more about Jesus. But these are incredibly challenging days for getting to know other people. Haven't you felt that? Haven't you found, felt this profound sense of loneliness during these last couple of years? And even possibly even here in this room at times. I've been having a lot of uh, pastoral conversations with newcomers and regular attenders alike, and, and I hear this constantly, this, this ongoing refrain. One person who mostly participates in our live stream, who's uh, probably watching right now, says, you know, I, I'm afraid that because I've been on the live stream that I'm, I'm being left behind, that I've been forgotten at restoration. At a newcomer dinner last week, someone said, what's the best way to get to know people at restoration? We're just hungry for that. We want to get to know others. And one newcomer that I, I met with, um, she said, am I even needed at restoration? Is that a place where my, my gifts will be used? Is there a need for me there? So uh, under this pandemic, forming relationships with other people has just been so incredibly hard. And for those of you who are looking for a new church home right now, it is especially hard. But do you know what I love about today's story? One of the things that, that I think we can glean from this? Jesus doesn't leave anybody out. There's a place for everyone in this. Yes, this, this story hones in on Peter, but there's others who are involved in this as well. Others are invited, his partners and his friends are invited to come and participate in hauling in this big load together. Jesus has given them all a charge to work in this, in this project with one another. Imagine the fishermen rowing their boats, kind of laughing, you know, pulling the fish together. And then as these fish are coming on the shore, imagine uh, men, women, and children just coming up and probably playing with the fish, cooking the fish. You know, this is a huge community adventure that's happening right now. And they all helped in with this great catch. All of them are enjoying the abundant life that Jesus offers us. So I don't know what kind of scars you carry from these last couple of years. Maybe, it's, maybe you're like Peter and you, you carry shame about the way in which things had gone or hadn't gone the way that, that you expected. Or maybe you're marked by the violence of our cities right now and it just weighs on you so heavily. Now all of us, I think, have been impacted by profound loneliness of this season as well. But the good news is that ultimately there are no bystanders in the kingdom of God. Everyone can grab a fish. <laughs> Everyone can grab something. Everyone has a role to play in this. So I pray, Restoration, that we here can be quick 
to help, to quick, to reach out. That we can be like those fishermen, cleaning and working on our nets, anticipating when, when others can come into this, into this community and that we can all participate with one another in enjoying the abundant life that Jesus Christ has for us, that he offers to us. One way in which we get to do that every single week is by coming to the Lord's table. You might be getting just a small piece of bread or a small sip of juice, but spiritually, this is an abundant nourishment of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our souls are dry, our souls are hungry, but come and be fed by the Lord Jesus Christ today. Come and be ministered to by him. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, we are weak and frail, but you are strong and mighty, Lord. You look into the depths of the sea, and while we might see chaos and mystery and hard work and, and fruitless labor, Lord Jesus, you see potential for abundant life. Lord, you've called this church restoration, and we have been broken so many times over these last couple of years. So I pray that as the weather warms and, and Lord willing, the, this uh, virus fades, I pray that you would piece us back together again. Like those nets, Lord, may you bring us back together that we might contain your glory, that we might experience your abundant life where you give us grace, peace, and purpose. Bless us now, Lord, as we go about the rest of our day. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen.